And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Hey, it's great to have you with us here on the program. Uh, we are going to have a very interesting program today. We are uh, going to talk with a gentleman who's been with us before, but it's been a while. And um, we're looking forward to having a great conversation with uh, Peter Peter Bittard, uh, Bittard. And he is the uh, author of one book that we talked about when last time we had him on. Convergence Healing, Healing Pain with Energetic Love, but the uh, latest work that we're going to talk about, which I think is uh, highly appropriate, I guess because I'm kind of feeling it right now, but my name isn't Billy. The title of the book is is, uh, Billy and the Anxiety Monster, How to Love Your Anxiety and Heal. It's a a grown-up book uh, for your inner child. Peter, thank you so much for being back with us here on the program. It's, it's great to talk to you again. It's really fun to see you. I totally recognize your voice from when we did this a few years ago and I love your show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I I have to uh, let our listeners know that as of this particular program and conversation, uh, and and I say this every program, and I do sincerely mean this, that the numbers don't matter to me. I like that the fact that the numbers are going up, but we're at 100,000 listens. Now, it's taken us uh, since two, uh, 2018 uh, via Spotify and all of the other sites I've set set up the, uh, the RSS feed uh, to, that uh, we're 100,000 listens, not listeners, although that would be great too. Uh, but I'm just glad that people are listening. So that's that's kind of a, a neat thing. The, well, I'm following on you, you on YouTube. So I I saw that and I everybody. thank you for that. Thank <laughs> you so much for that. I appreciate that. Now, this story, Billy and the Anxiety Monster, first of all, is this sort of a, it is a, a, a story that uh, that people can read and it's got wonderful little lessons in it as we go through. Or is this like uh, the five steps, the 10 steps, this, that kind of the other thing? Right. So my first book, Convergence Healing, in in that book, uh, there's a process I talk about, about learning to love your pain. Mm -hmm. And I took that process, focused it on anxiety, because anxiety is a form of pain, and then demonstrated through the story of Billy. So I, it's, it is illustrated. It's I see. super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to see, but here I'll show you the anxiety monster. Well, maybe I'll be giving that away, but here I'll show you what <laughs> Billy's anxiety can look like. I don't know if you could all see oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, there. my goodness. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's really a book about Billy's journey in learning to live with his anxiety and actually love his anxiety and transform it from an enemy or from something that is its intention is to keep you safe. Its intention is to keep you in places that are comfortable and familiar, which those places are often places we don't want to be in Uh, and to understand its intention and learn to love it and then harness its energy to actually work with you instead of against you. Mm. And anxiety is, first of all, I want to say that, that, if it weren't for the pandemic that we just went through, sadly, and I say this sincerely, sadly, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation that we should have been having years and years ago to eliminate the stigma of the the, the, the challenges that we have uh, in our lives and especially when you think about it from the standpoint of uh, what we've just, what we've all been through. I mean, wouldn't you agree that it's about time that we started to talk about this stuff because everybody's dealing with it. Long overdue. You know, I I was just recently looking up a statistic on anxiety and there's over 400 million people globally every day suffering from some sort of anxiety response. Now, as you know, anxiety for some people comes and goes. So if you could imagine how many people during the year, yeah, you may have a month or two of feeling anxious. Other people have a lifetime of feeling anxious. And to have 400 million people, and that number is glo- is growing around 25% every decade. 
that's a huge number of people walking around in a, in a suffering experience when they ne- they don't necessarily have to. Yeah, that's interesting that you put it that way, that they don't have to. And yet, and yet, they actually, and it may be subconsciously, they choose to. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so a lot of my work as a therapist is in that subconscious realm. And we become what I call safe, comfortable, and familiar, those words I used just a little while ago. So we become safe, comfortable, and familiar with our pain. We become safe, comfortable, and familiar with our abuse. Like the extreme example is somebody in abusive relationship, and it's more safe for them, comfortable and familiar for them to have the experience of the knife up to their neck than it is to stepping out on their own in a world they don't understand, in a place they don't know how to take care of themselves or any of that type of stuff. It's this, it's subconscious. It's not the logical brain. Like the logical brain says, well, that's just, that's not safe. That's not comfortable. The subconscious brain says, yes, it is. It's what I know. It's what I know how to do. It's how I know how to be. And so that's what I'm referring to when I say safe, comfortable, and familiar. And we get stuck in these horrible situations of anxiety or pain or many other things, addiction, traumas, just sort of stuck in those experiences and don't know how to move on from them. Yeah. Well, you know... I used to think that I was, I don't want to say immune. I was pretty well balanced. I'm a very positive person uh, and so forth until, uh, until the last couple, three years. Now, interestingly enough, it had nothing to do with the pandemic. It had to do with other things going on in my life. And, uh, I've had, this is the first time, and I'm 63 years old, and you think I would have dealt with this years ago, but, you know, it comes when it comes. I've had these fleeting thoughts of, you know what, I'm just tired. I almost feel like my father, my late father who passed away last March, um, and he got to a point where he didn't want to be here anymore. His eldest daughter, my eldest sister, passed away a year ago, and that's kind of when he started going downhill, which I understood. Right. But I, I thought... I'm not, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm not going to have those problems. I'm, I'm going to be just fine. And yet lately I've had those. For your loss. Well, thank you. Um, I, I, but I've had those feelings like, mm-hmm. like my dad's, you know what? I'm just tired. Uh, I'm, I'm 63 and I want to live to be a hundred. I don't know that I'm going to make it if I don't, you know, if I don't straighten up and fly right or something, <laughs> but we're having these conversations. We're talking about this stuff now. So when you talk about uh, the anxiety monster, and for some, it really can be. For others, I mean, for some of us, we'll get anxious for a little while, and then it, it blows over because things change. But for others, it just goes on and on and on. So how do you, how do we face the anxiety monster? Because I think that's sort of like the first step. We first have to acknowledge that if if we want to use this term, the monster, the monster's there. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about Absolutely. the best way. You know, you asked about how do how do we face the monster? So it's it's an interesting thing because the majority of our culture is set up to avoid the monster. It's set up to avoid the pain, right? Whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or just avoidance. There's a something that I find that's growing more and more. It's a term that I call spiritual bypassing. That's called spiritual bypassing. And spiritual bypassing is this experience of, oh, I'm really angry right now. I'm going to go take a yoga class. So I don't deal with the anger. I don't deal with the pain. I don't deal with the grief. And I just set it aside. I shove it down. And I go and distract myself. And the yoga class is amazing. It's like going to the gym or doing something like that. I'm going to go for a walk. If we are not dealing with the problem at hand, then that's a bypass. And that problem is going to hang around and often get into a deeper rut. So how we actually face those problems is we we stop bypassing. You have to be willing to feel the pain in order to go through the pain in order to not have the pain. And we tend to think as humans, especially in the holistic world, especially in this world of 
of self-help and self-care and stuff like that. There's a big population that's just doing um, amazing bypasses Mm -hmm. and they're learning and they're growing. They're becoming better yogis. They're becoming better at meditation. They're becoming all this at better at all this type of stuff. And at some point they have to deal with, we can call it the shadow. They have to deal with the pain. They have to deal with the trauma, whatever it is. So one of the primary ways to do it that I work with my clients to do is to sit them down, make sure they haven't had a drink, (laughs) make sure they're not bypassing or doing anything like that, and then have them sit with the part that's suffering. And often I have to hold their hand and just be right there with them just to actually experience that sadness, that grief, the trauma, whatever it is, knowing that I'm there, I got their back knowing that that experience will pass. There is often a, a fear in, of, in us that says, but will this ever stop? Will this ever end? Will I ever feel better? Because we are so ensconced in that old feeling. And we may have been in it, like I said, we may have been bypassing it for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So the first thing to do is sit with it. In order to make that easier, so it's not this thing that's inside of us eating us up and we have that feeling of that, I ask them to take the part of them that's suffering, the anxiety in this case, and have it step outside of their body and to visualize, imagine, and think about what that would look like, to give it a shape of some sort, a form of some sort. And what that does for the brain is it allows the brain to actually say, oh, there's Bob the blob, right? Instead of it being this anxiety, being this overwhelming thing that just it often feels like this, like it's overwhelming, washing over us and shutting us down. Now it's, oh, there's Bob. Bob's in the corner. Bob's over by the door. I can see Bob the blob. He's this big, black, heavy, dark, drippy, sticky blob. And there he is. That's my anxiety. Now I can have something to conceptualize and work with. So having that shape and form saying to that and people i hope people as they're listening can can and can do this as we go through a process to actually say to that part however it shows up there is one rule and that is that the part cannot show up as someone who's currently alive so it can't show up if your mother's still alive and you're talking about your anxiety and you're putting your anxiety on your mother it cannot be your mother your mother isn't the cause of your anxiety you are And I loved what you had said in a previous recording where you talked about that radical responsibility, right? Yeah. My mom might represent my anxiety, but I'm responding, reacting, interacting with her, and I'm feeling the anxiety. She may trigger it, but it's not her. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, um, in every situation that we are uh, involved in with other human beings, when we experience someone, um, and I just use the word reacting, okay, it it in a manner of speaking, it has nothing to do with us. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, uh, it pro- most likely has nothing to do with us. We just by virtue of something we said, something we did, a look we gave, and so forth, triggered that past i guess you could say trauma or event that created the belief that this is the way i must react when someone says or does this exactly oh my gosh you just touched on something that i love and it's this idea instead of asking why is asking how how do i know to be anxious right now how do i know to be triggered right now Right. And it it's a question we can easily go into the blame of why. Well, because they blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's always outside of ourselves. They did that. The world did that. Life did this, whatever. it is, Right. When we start to say, well, how do I know to react that way? Right. Then it comes back to me, which I could do something about me. I can't do something about everybody else, mm-hmm. but I could do something about me. So how do I know to react that way? Right. And then it becomes, do I need to react that way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
We're talking with Peter Bedard, and we're talking about the work that he is doing, and we're going to continue doing so here on Tell Me Your Story. We hope that you will stay with us throughout this program as we talk with uh, Peter, uh, not only about uh, this issue of anxiety, but also uh, maybe we'll touch, uh, just dive back into the whole aspect of uh, uh, energetic healing, if you will, and uh, find out what that's all about. Peter, tell me a little bit about how you... I don't want to say we're introduced to anxiety, uh, but in terms of feeling the need, the call, if you will, to write this book. Oh, huh. What was the calling to write this book? I love that question. You're the first person to ask it. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that. So it's a very personal question. So anxiety, depression, you know, so my backstory and by the way, I want to go back to that question you asked of how do you deal with it? So, <laughs> but we'll jump here. So my my personal story is that somebody killed me. So I was on my moped. I was driving home. I was, it was just before my 18th birthday. Somebody pushed the back of my bike into a parked semi-truck. I jumped out of my body. My body hit the car, hit the back of the semi-truck. My bike hit the back of the semi-truck. I died. There's a whole story to that. And I went to the other side. I had all those experiences. I obviously came back. I am not a figment of your imagination, or am I? (laughs) And and I had to heal myself of all kinds of things that the doctors just didn't know what to do with. I shattered my left leg into all tiny little bits. I, I split five, five vertebrae, I, I cracked five vertebrae, I split my, my wrist open, I lost all the nerves in my right hand, I had undiagnosed brain damage, that led to fibromyalgia and arthritis, having to learn how to walk again, bronchitis, sciatica, white blood cells attacking red blood cells, hemoglobin splitting and shutting down my organs, on and on and on, all of these things. And the doctors were amazing at putting my bones back together. But after that, all these freak things that just kept happening, they really didn't know what to do with. So I was very anxious. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know how to survive. My The story I had been telling myself about my future had been taken away, right? I had a story of what I was going to be when I grew up, who I was going to be, how I was going to be, the job I was going to have, all of that type of stuff. That was gone. That I couldn't do any of that stuff because my body had been shattered into little bits. So the doctors were great about putting my knee back together, but they didn't really know what to do with everything else. And so they just kept offering me more drugs and more surgeries. I took the one surgery. I did not do any others. And I, I just, I didn't want to do a surgery that might help, you know, that maybe could assist you. Mm-hmm. It's not to be great, but it might help. I wasn't interested in that. So I stumbled into holistic healing. I stumbled into every practitioner I could find. <laughs> Somebody would say, hey, I had a really great experience with fill in the blank. And I was like, great, give me their number. And I would go. I spent every paycheck that I had healing myself. And I was able to do it. It's a miracle that I'm walking. Like The doctors told me I would not be able to walk. And if I could walk, it would be with a lot of assistance and in great difficulty. I can now go hiking and do all kinds of stuff. So I had to learn that all healing has a physical side to it, has a mental side to it, and has a spiritual, emotional side to it. And that if we weren't healing on all of those sides, then we weren't going to completely heal. Mm. right so the doctors were great about putting my bones together that's the physical side well i like to give the example of let's say one of my my say my professional football player he comes in he's got a busted up knee right like me the doctors put his knee back together he doesn't know if he's going to be able to play and that anxiety right that mental anguish in the head is saying am i going to be able to play what's going to happen with the season what's going to happen with my contract i just bought a 14 million dollar house how am i going to pay for that what what is going to be my what's my life going to be and on that spiritual side you know these guys have been playing ball since they were eight nine ten years old it's what they do it's who they are it's how they perceive the world it's what they love it's their passion And that may be gone in this instance for this particular Mm -hmm. client. And we have to do the healing on all of those sides. And that's often ignored. And so this book is really, you know, my first book was really about the bigger picture, right? 
mm-hmm. and how to take this process and how to love these parts of us that are suffering. So right now people will say like, I, I've been a therapist for almost 20 years and I've had periods of my practice where I had a lot of physical pain. I had a lot of cancer. I had a lot of anxiety issues. I had a lot of addiction issues and my cancer clients taught me so much. They taught me that you can actually love the thing that is perceived to be killing you. They taught me that. Mm. And I thought if they could love their pain, if they could love this part that's perceived as being wrong and bad, then I can love anything. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And if you really think about it, there's a part of them that's suffering. And what we're taught to do is to beat up that part. We're taught to push it down, to shove it down, to drug it, to ignore it, to just overcome it, you know, pull up your bootstraps. We're, we're taught that way of thinking. And it's a very destructive way of thinking. It's like me saying, Richard, you're one of my best friends and you're really suffering, but I don't want to talk about it. Mm. Right? I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to know anything about it. I know you're suffering and I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore you. And if you are only going to be in pain, then I can't be around you. And what a horrible thing that is. And what awful thing I'm doing to you. I'm not giving you love, but that's what we need to do. So to turn to that part of us that's suffering and say, instead of bullying it, to say, I'm so sorry you're suffering. You know, I'm sorry that I've been such a jerk to you. (laughs) Well, now there's, there's a, there's a, uh, another side to that, Mm -hmm. that we also need to recognize now. First of all, yes, I, I can I can appreciate, understand, and certainly recognize the the need to be compassionate, to be kind. But at the same time, if an individual every time you meet them, it's the same story over and over again, and this has been going on, let's just say, for years. Uh, and I'm actually going to throw this in there. I had a conversation with my mother. Uh, she's 89, doing well. I mean, my God, I would think she's still in her 40s or 50s with the energy this woman has. I was sharing with her some of the things I was concerned about, this, that, and the other thing, which I had shared with her before on numerous occasions, I'm sure. <clears throat> and she stopped me. She said, stop, stop. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about the negative stuff. Okay. Now, if you want to, to get some advice, some guidance, some inspiration, I am here, but I don't want to hear all of this negativity. Right. And at first first blush, I'm going, but I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, but mom, and then I began to process and realize she's right. She's absolutely right. I mean, I'm 63, which means I've been around her on and off for 63 years. She's heard the stories over and over again. And again, I'm a very optimistic person. So rarely would I ever come with her, come to her for with negative stuff. But in this case, it had been, and I'm going, okay. So the next time I communicated, it was text. And I said, only good news. And I shared with her. And the next thing I called her, that was how I started the conversation. Nothing but good news here. <laughs> now, that's not to say that if I was to share a little a little anxiety type of situation that she wouldn't listen, I'm sure. Right. But we run into these people a lot yeah. who they're maybe they're carrying a See, to me, there's a lot more to anxiety than just being anxious. Absolutely. There's this, there's, there's this, this aspect of revenge, you know, someone did me wrong and I've got to get even. And, and so now they're locked into this, they're locked into this mindset. And it's like, are you kidding me? Do you realize how much energy you're wasting? Um, I'm going to use a prime example of a, of a gentleman who, and I, I present this a politically. All right. He came down the escalator and began to blast everybody else that was the problem, saying that um, we're going to make some changes and it's everybody else's fault that we are the way we are. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. First of all, I don't want to bully in the highest office in the land. Second of all, I already did the victimhood game enough already. But as time went on, 
you could hear the the dialogue of of uh, getting even you know loyalty and then if you're not loyal to me then i won't be loyal to you and on and on and on and on and the first thought that came to me and this ties into your your aspect of uh, energetic healing mm-hmm. and it's sort of the opposite you cannot maintain a negative demeanor and not expect it to come back on you. And in today's day, uh, and as of the as of this conversation, that individual, right or wrong, I'm not passing judgment, is facing all kinds of crazy that uh, some people would say, well, it's not his fault. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's his fault, but he's responsible for it all. And for one very good reason, he chose the path that he's on he chose it nobody forced him to run for the office any more than anybody forced me to work for the different stations to do the different interviews to be married to the two different people i've been married to still married to the second one uh live where i live nobody is responsible but me and that goes Absolutely. back to what what i mentioned and you so let me clear go ahead please let me clarify so i'm not saying we want to enable people or ourselves to be stuck in our pain. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, because sometimes we have to say to those parts, sit down and shut up. I love you. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have to say that because that part, our habit, our safe, comfortable, and familiar that I spoke about earlier is keeping us in that experience. So to go back what what we didn't get to finish, like how do you love your anxiety? To actually take a shape and a form to let it come into the room, to let yourself be with it, to not run away from it or be hiding it or suppressing it anymore, which is a, can be a very difficult thing, thing to do, to see that shadow, that darkness or that pain, and to actually just sit with that pain. I like to give it a name, which is why I called it Bob, right? Because then my brain could say, oh, Bob just walked in the room. I'm feeling anxious. There's Bob, right? So... The next thing we do is we say to this part of us that's suffering, we say, I'm so sorry you're suffering, and we figure out how to love it. And that's why I was saying to the whole idea of there's a part that's suffering. It needs love more than anything. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give it love, and I need it to sit down, be quiet, and to let me show it what what I'm creating, what I want to create, where I'm going to go next. So I have to train it. So if I'm in a habit of anxiety, I'm in a habit of worry, I have to sit that worry down. Again, Bob, Bob, there's Bob the Bob. I have to sit it down. I'm going to not bully it. I'm going to, just like your friend, I'm going to say, hey, you've been complaining about this for a long time. You're in a lot of pain. I know you're suffering. I'm so sorry you're suffering. I'm so sorry this is bothering you for so long. And can we shift into possibility? Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to teach you, Bob the Blob, or even your friend, hey, can you go and tell me what it would look like to be free of that? What would it be like if this part of you that was a monster, right? That's what Billy does in the book. This part that was this scary monster starts to transform and be your friend. It always was your supporter. Its intention was always to keep you safe, comfortable, and familiar. It was doing it in a way that was messed up. Mm -hmm. It was doing it in the way that it was taught to do by your parents or by society, by whatever. It was doing it by getting you to go do something that maybe was destructive, but it worked. You didn't feel anxiety anymore. You drank, you you did drugs, you did whatever. Now it comes back. Mm -hmm. So to actually be present with it. And I say, you have to ask it three questions. What can I do to help you heal? Right. Mm. Your mom was kind of doing that. Mm-hmm. She was kind of saying, hey, you need to stop complaining. And it just maybe it didn't. And, and if opening the door and saying, hey, if you want to add you on some advice. OK, well, that's good. But I would turn it into a dialogue of saying, what can I do? This part of you that's suffering, Bob, what can I do, Bob, that's going to help you heal? Right. How do you know the question I said earlier? How do you know right now to be anxious, Bob? 
Yeah. And we start listening to that intuitive healing. Some, you know, that that little voice within the angels, however, you know, whatever paradigm people have for understanding, we start to go in and then figure out with the part. So not bypassing the part, not bypassing the pain, working with the pain. What can I do physically to help you feel better and to heal? What can I do mentally to help you heal? Because the way I've been thinking, that's not been helping. What can I do on that spirit level, on that sense of the of the heart, on that sense of connection, on that sense of nature or oneness? What can I do to support you in your healing? Yeah. Now it becomes a dialogue. It's not a bypass, right? Now it's a dialogue with the part that's actually suffering that maybe isn't suffering anymore because you're giving it love. And now potentially it has moved into a position of support and being your first mate. <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? It makes absolutely uh, perfect sense. Yeah. Great. It actually reminds me, and maybe this is a method that you, you may employ with people um, <clears throat> meditation. Uh, but it's interesting how uh, in years gone by, when I was learning about meditation, um, one of the first things that they would say is you need to, get the mind to shut up, you know, just, just, you know, almost as if the mind was an enemy. And that was kind of the perspective that they took to shut it down so that you could go and meditate and, and go into that quiet, still calm, peaceful place that we talk about here on this program. Uh, mm -hmm. We we talk about how we want people to participate uh, during this decade of perfect vision by going within. So you, you shut the mind down. Then uh, a few years ago, it's been that long because uh, I was learning about meditation in the early 80s uh, from my experiences. And uh, then it was a few, uh, you know, a few years back when, uh, you know, someone said, well, actually, no, you really you, you want to make a friend of it. You basically you want to say, hey, look, I need some time away. I'm not ignoring you. I need some time away. Could you? kind of sit here quietly and and I'll be back. I promise. And when I come back, I'm going to have some new tools we're going to get to play with and so on and so forth. And then, and that was my theory, bringing it a little more modern, if you will. Ah, but then one of my guests had the most profound example. They said, rather than do that with some guidelines, you tell the mind, look, I want to go meditate. I want to go within and listen to that still small voice. You want to come along, but you have to be quiet, but you have to be quiet so that we both can hear. Yes. And I thought, wow, that makes even more sense than, than being kind and saying, Hey, wait here. I'll be back. I mean, what mm -hmm. little kid, I mean, how would you feel it? How I'm sure we've all had these experiences where they didn't do it on purpose, but suddenly mom or dad or one of the elder uh, older siblings left you in the middle of the mall. You just lost sight of them for a second. Now you can't find them. And now you are freaking out. And even the mind, uh, it's like a little child. So if you invite it, that just, you know, it just makes makes a whole lot more sense. Is meditation a method that you employ to help people to work through their anxiety? Absolutely. Meditation is. So I, I look at the work I do even as a type of meditation, right? You're, I'm asking people to get quiet. I'm asking them to go within. I'm asking to them to see an image on the eyelids of their inside of their eyelids, you know, that is like a movie screen. They can see something, right? I'm asking them to be present with that thing. I'm asking them to enlist all of the parts of their brain to actually go on this journey, which is how I think that's my favorite type of meditation, where I'm using all of my tools to get to an experience. And I'm completely, fully present in that experience. It's not an exclusionary experience. It's a encompassing experience. So I'm going to sit with my pain and meditate with my pain. I'm going to sit with the anxiety and I'm going to just be in a place of love, showering it with that love. So, yes. I, and, you know, 
I love that you brought this up because so many people don't and they're in, you know, everybody thinks we know the right way to meditate, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Oh. There's thousands of different ways to meditate and everybody that teaches that way thinks that their way is the right way. And again, that's just like, okay, whatever. I, I know probably 15, 20 different styles of meditation and I pick the one that's right for me in that moment. What do I actually need? What type? Do I need a moving meditation? Do I need a walking meditation? Right? Do I need to dance around a fire? Do I need to drum? Do I need an auditory meditation of solfeggio tones or frequencies? Do I need a more chanting meditation or a, a, a mudra meditation or, you know, just a sitting and being quiet and still meditation? There's so many, you know, Ram Das. When he said this to me, it resonated so much. They not finished his book about there's so many different types to meditate. It doesn't matter how you meditate, just meditate. Mm -hmm. He had a particular style that he did for decades. And he was just a big advocate of meditating. Just go meditate. Do what works for you. My work has a very mm -hmm. meditative quality to it. Some people say that my work is like teaching people how to be a medical intuitive, how to go in and listen to the parts of the body and, and intuit what it's communicating. And other people say, I'm just teaching meditation. I'm teaching mindfulness of just sitting and watching and observing and listening. Right? There's, I think I go deeper because I'm asking people to actually enlist all of the tools of the brain. I want people to know their health and to meditate on that health and to meditate in this experience, which is what I say about teaching that part that's suffering, right? Teaching the anxiety, what it's like to actually live happy, joyous, and free. Mm -hmm. What's the color of it? What's the texture of it? What's the sound? What's the smell? What's the taste? What's the feeling of that experience? And can I now teach you, like you said, it's that part that's with you on the meditation, can I actually take you on that journey? And now can we take next steps yeah. to actually co-create with all the parts of us, with the universe, can we co-create this experience of health? Yeah. And it, it, it does sound kind of strange to a lot of folks I know because they are not uh, in this mindset that we have chosen these emotions. These They, they don't just happen. We have made... Again, as I said, maybe it's the subconscious choice <clears throat> based upon, we'll call it past programming. Uh, we have chosen to be, um, to, to, be, to be to exhibit a particular emotion based upon the, the outward uh, uh, experience and that we can change that. We can choose. I've, I've said that to, to individuals lately. Uh, who uh, say, well, you made me feel this way and you made me feel, I said, no, no, I didn't. You, and, and of course they hate hearing it because they don't want to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I, I tell them, I said, no, 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 no. I'm, you know, I understand where you're coming from. I can appreciate that. However, if I have that much power, then why am I not <clears throat> in a different space? In my life, why am I not? Why don't I have this and have that? If I've got control over other human beings, as you imply through what you have just said, that I made you feel this way, then you know I'm a god. Well, I am, but that's another story for another program. Um, <laughs> Peter Bittard is my guest, and we are talking about the anxiety monster. We are talking about. Billy and the Anxiety Monster, How to Love Your Anxiety and Heal. It is a grown-up book for your inner child. A very interesting turn of phrases there, Peter. I, I really like that. And the inner child, <clears throat> uh, it probably started long before this, but uh, back in the 80s, it was when I first started hearing about the inner child and inner child work and so on and so forth. Was there an, as far as you know, um, if you know, that's fine. But as far as you know, was it given some other term, some other description other than inner child? Uh, maybe Freud called it something else or Jung called it something else. Uh, do you know who coined the phrase? 
Or I, know, I don't. I don't know who. Mm-hmm. I remember reading about it years ago. Who started using inner child? But I, I think the inner child is is equivalent to the self. Mm-hmm. Okay. The capital of S self, right? And that's something that a lot of people sometimes they don't want to deal with. And again, uh, out of fear, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, being born and raised uh, a Roman Catholic, <clears throat> and then working for a Christian radio station. One of the things that has has sprung to mind, I've shared this analogy on multiple occasions, where an individual apparently does not want to take responsibility for their lives. Now, they might say, oh, but I am because I'm turning my will over to God. Well, okay, then let me share this with you. You're out there in a meadow. You're walking around. You got your will. If you could externalize it, you have it in the palms of your hands, in the cup, in your hands. I want to do God's will. You're saying, I want to do God's will. I want to do God's will. And you toss it in the air. And God is so moved by your gesture. Oh, one of my creation wants to do my will. Well, while God is in this emotional state, God is compressing your will down into the size of a baseball and rears back and hurls a 90 mile an hour Nolan Ryan fastball. I know he's pitched faster than that. Someone said that to me. You know, he's pitched faster than 90 miles anyway. And squarely hits the hits you right in the forehead and basically is saying to you, then do something with the life I gave you. You are not a puppet on a string being manipulated by forces you do not understand. Mm -hmm. And the Jewish tradition teaches of the evil Satan, you know, Lucifer and so forth. There is no such thing. Now, there may have been an angel by the name of Lucifer, son of the morning. But the description that most Christians give of Satan, the devil, with the pointed pointed ear, pointed of horns and so forth. The Jewish tradition says that is not an external outside entity. That is the lowest base nature of man. What about what are, are, are do you feel the same way in terms of all of we, what we've talked about thus far in terms of uh, taking responsibility for who we are? The as I learned in psychology class that I got a C in in college, um, the id, the ego and the superego. And I know the self is in there somewhere and I'm not sure which one it is. But anyway, uh, th- that that is really the case that that, hey. We've always we've always been in control, but we've been out of control because we refuse to, so to speak, take control, not of the external, but of the internal. Oh, God, absolutely. So many people that again, that's why my work is very inner focused, because we're all about going on the outside. And when you bring up the idea of evil. Well, let me backtrack a little bit, because the way I look at the work I do, everybody in the world, and especially my clients, is that the truth of who you are is that you are whole, perfect, and complete. I don't look at people as being wrong or bad or any of those type of things. People may come to me, they may have done things that we would deem as wrong or bad. They may have Uh, harm somebody or themselves. They may be in addiction. They may be suffering with anxiety. But the truth of who they are is that they are whole, perfect, and complete. And the stuff that they're coming to me for is stuff that's been put on top of them. It's not their core. It's Mm -hmm. not who they are. It's just life. And so my job in working with my clients is to brush all that stuff off, all that crap off, to brush Mm -hmm. it off, brush it off. Right. And actually remember our truth. And when it comes to evil, I, I my personal beliefs is that there really is no such thing as heaven or hell. I don't I don't I don't personally believe that for myself and evil in itself. And I've seen some things that we may call evil. Mm-hmm. I, I've certainly been confronted by things that I've had guns pointed at me and knives pointed at me. I've been surrounded by people telling they're going to kill me. I've had these situations in the world. uh, And when I look at something and we call it evil, I perceive it as a separation from the divine. I don't perceive it as this devil or anything of that sort. I just perceive it as we have a choice in this world. We can move closer to love or we can move away from love. 
and moving away from love is what I would call an evil thing. It's often been uh, characterized too the difference between the light and the dark. Well, it's not actually the dark, but it's the shadow. Think about it. If if you are facing the light, well, then you're looking into the light, as it were, not necessarily dying and going down the tunnel or anything. <clears throat> but if you were to turn around and put your back to the light, what do you see before you? It's a shadow. Mm-hmm. It's a shadow. So when we are not looking into the light, we are not facing the light then we're facing our shadow. And that, again, it is something that, as you said at the beginning of the program, it's something that we need to we need to look at. We actually need to embrace it and recognize I wouldn't be the person that I am today if I didn't have the shadow side. And part of the human experience. Yeah. No regrets, because regrets are basically saying, if I could go back and change this, that, or the other thing, Once again, if you could, you wouldn't be who you are today. You would be somebody else because you've changed part of your past, which then changes your past. Brings me to choices. Mm -hmm. Now, this, this sounds a little weird, especially if you think of little kids. But even the choices that we made, you and I, Peter, you and I made as children, have brought us here. Oh, absolutely. And when you think about that, it's like, well, how, how does that, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, yes. uh, You sort of give up the need to know why or how in this instance, in this instance, it just is. Yeah. Because that choice you made as a little kid to jump off the roof of your parents' house, which I did. Um, (laughs) Was one of those choices may not have been pivotal per se, but -hmm. it was certainly one of them Mm -hmm. that has brought me here today to bring to you folks, Peter Bedard, who is uh, here with us talking about Billy and the anxiety monster. And, and I am very grateful for the fact that you're here with us today, Bill, Uh, Bill, Uh, Peter, uh, we'll talk with Billy later Um, in a, maybe a, uh, by the way, you, you've, you've put it together. Talk to me about your illustrator. Nice job they did on, on creating the, the images that we see in the book, especially the cover. I love that cover just stands out. Yeah. I, I'm so thrilled with it. I, it was a process. So I had taken a bunch of time to sit down and look at what were the illustrations that I wanted to have. Then I had to figure out, well, what did I want the the Billy to look like? What did I want the monster to look like? And the monster is actually a grill, a called a Grillis. And a Grillis is a medieval monster that a lot of people never heard about. So when I stumbled upon Grillis, it was kind of a fun thing to go, oh, this is great. This is one no one's seen before. (laughs) So I ended up doing my bad sketches because <laughs> I don't consider <laughs> myself an artist. Knowing what the emotional tone and the content and the image that I wanted to see, I handed that over to an artist and then he turned it into, into the, into the work that you see, into the work you see now. So, yeah. You know, you could have referred to it as a Kraken, but that's been taken. <laughs> We've got a hockey. I love the Kraken. Oh, I know. It's, 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 it's great. I mean, I've seen a, uh, one of these great commercials where, and it was one of these, uh, I think it was a, a um, an insurance company, and they used the Kraken. <laughs> the Kraken grabbed the car and pulled it overboard. Uh, but right. also we had, there's a hockey team, I believe it's in Oregon. It's Oregon or Washington that has the hockey team, the Krakens. It's, 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 oh, is it really? That's a great, that, that comes from uh, Lovecraft. Yeah, the Kraken was in, was invented by Love Lovecraft many years oh, ago. Yeah, it's just I I don't know why, but it's just kind of a neat uh, symbol, a neat symbol. Yeah. But uh, oh, this is this is very cool. So the book <clears throat> now, I know there are illustrations in it, mm-hmm. but is it available yet, or will it ever be available? Say in the audible format. Yes, I'm working on that. So my first book right here, the Convergence Healing book, that's already available as an audio book. It's as a, as a digital book, a paperback, and an audio. 
This current book is only available as a digital and a paperback. It will be available as an audio book coming soon. Hopefully by the spring, it'll be it'll be done. I'll be recording it. It's my voice in the first book and it will be my voice in the second book. And I'm thank you for asking that. People can get it on at Barnes and Noble. They can get it on Amazon. Uh, it is available to bookstores. So if you go into a bookstore and you want them to order it for you, they can. It's on the Ingram Spark platform that bookstore use use for ordering their text. And it's it's the book is actually an all ages book. It's my I call it a, you know, a grown up book for your inner child, and kids love that. What I'm finding is that my goal is being reached with the book. I was inspired first by Shrek. You remember mm. that movie, Shrek? I oh, love yeah. that movie, right? Mm -hmm. Adults love the movie and kids love the movie. And so when I sat down to write this book, I wanted to write a book that adults can understand that would sort of bypass all the critical judgmental brain that we have of saying, oh, I don't have time for this or it's too hard or my anxiety, I don't even know how to work with it. Well, I took it and I gave you a process. I give you a process in the book that's so simple and easy to do. And so I explained the process in the story. And what's beautiful is I got to beta test it with a bunch of fifth graders and we got to draw our own anxiety monster and we talked about it and they got it. And recently I was able to work with a group of kids at the Boys and Girls Club. And one of the kids came up to me and presented me with a, a thank you, a photo of the group. And he said, I couldn't talk to anybody before you read your book to me. After you read your book to me and I read and I, I, I listened to your story and I talked to my monster, I'm now standing here. This kid's 10 years old. I'm now standing here in front of everybody, give, thanking you and giving you this gift. I, 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 I did lose it at that moment. I cried. But what's fun about it is that I have people buying this book. I had one woman who's in her 60s, 70s. I think she's in her early 70s. And she's buying the book for her granddaughter, who is now going off to college in New York. Like, this isn't a little girl she's buying it for. This is an adult granddaughter. Yeah. I have people that are buying it for their kids and buying a copy for themselves. I'm. It's so exciting because it's sort of straddling the market. And it's it's really speaking to everybody in a way that is approachable yeah. and not like my first book is a real true self-help book. It's like, this is a process. Go through the process. Do this. Do that. Let me show you how it works. And I love my first book. I People told me it saved their lives, literally. And the second book is kind of subterfuge. I do it sneaky. <laughs> right? I get you into the story and I get you into the process. And it's a fun story and it's a kid story. So it bypasses all that judgmental pushing away kind of thinking that we do. And it gets in there. And it it's really, I, I'm, I'm so blessed because it really is changing people's lives. And it's so doable yeah. for people. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and and you cool. mentioned the phrase self help, and and it brings to mind something I heard. Uh, I was watching one of these videos on YouTube. I love watching com comedians, and in this case, I was watching uh, a George Carlin bit, <clears throat> and he he was talking about uh, uh, the the bookstore or the library, and you go through the different departments and uh, or sections, and the one that he was re had a real problem with was the self help section. <laughs> Wait a minute. You are going to read a book written by somebody else who is writing about self-help. What do you need them for? It's supposed to be self-help. You're supposed to help yourself. I just it's just a turn of a phrase. And and I yep. I just thought that was uh that was rather a humorous Carly. way of looking at it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking with Peter Bedard and we're talking about his latest book that we hope that you will go get a copy of Billy and the Anxiety Monster. How to Love Your Anxiety and Heal, a grown-up book for your inner child. And uh, we're uh, talking with him also. <clears throat> I better give out that website so people can find you and find out right. more about what you're doing and get in touch with you. Uh, convergencehealing.com, C-O-N-V-E-R-G-E-N-C-E-H-E-A-L-I-N-G.com, convergencehealing.com. We will be linked to his website, to your website, Peter, so that people can just click on it while they're listening to or watching the video or uh, listening to the audio. <clears throat> and 
<clears throat> you are listening to uh, Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, I wanted to um, thank you so much for being a part of Tell Me Your Story, sharing uh, your story as well as the story of uh, the work that you are doing and having these conversations. They are, in my opinion, <laughs> they are critical. They really are. They're very important for us to have. And uh, I thank you for sharing that with us. I will also let you know that I have three final questions that I'm going to ask you uh, that I ask all of my guests. Uh, but before I do, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And uh, we are also podcasting at those times at richarddugan.com, as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations. And we're on YouTube, as Peter mentioned earlier, uh, that uh, you can watch these conversations. And I say this every time I'm not as interested in how many people are watching or listening as that people are watching and listening. And if we hit 100,000 uh, through Spotify and all the other outlets, uh, I think I'm up to maybe 130 subscribers since I think the summer of 2020. That's okay. That's all right. Because there are a lot of other people who are listening. I've, I've seen the analytics who aren't subscribing and that's okay. They don't have to subscribe. You don't have to subscribe. Uh, but, you know, it would be great if you did, because if you click notification, then when I post a new one, you're going to be notified and you'll be able to, uh, so to speak, um, vicariously participate in that conversation. And we hope that you will. We also uh, ask that if you can help to support us financially, we would be greatly appreciative of that. We have a PayPal account that is there for your security as well as ours. And uh, when you go there and uh, they're going to ask you for a name to whom to send, Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. And as I mentioned earlier in the program, we would love it if you participated in the decade of perfect vision. This is the only place, no matter what your vision is, even if it is 2020, where you are going to get perfect vision from within, going within and listening to that still small voice and take the mind with you. Okay, take the mind with you. And with all of that being said, we move to our uh, Final three questions for our very special guest here on the program. The first of those questions is, who is Peter Bedard? I knew you were going to ask that question. I've been listening to your interviews. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I studied philosophy, so that's a question that's been in my mind for a long time. Who is Peter Bedard? Right now, as I like to say, Peter Bedard is a divine spark emanating into the world in this experience uh and i i, I am a, a tool of the divine is is how i like to think of myself right now i had many different ways to answer that question and where i am right now in my own growth and my own spiritual growth and my own life is uh i am a spark i am a tool i am an emanation of the divine what is your life's purpose my life's purpose has been to bring wellness. So I I used to have a huge mission statement with many paragraphs describing who I am, what I do, all that type of stuff. And it just really boiled down to something very simple. And that's to bring wellness in all that I do. And finally, what was your best day? Yes. Okay. So I was thinking about that question. I knew you were going to ask it too. There's so many. <laughs> um, you know, today is always the best day. And to I often sign off on my emails, me emails is make it a great day. And I think we have the opportunity to be in that present moment and do that. And as I also have a history, some of my best days are when I bought my first house, uh, when I when I got my dog, my first dog, and uh, when I, I have a second dog now, my first dog passed and my second dog found me. And the day that I found him or he found me was just a beautiful day. Mm -hmm. The day that I 
packed my bags and moved to London for the first time, not knowing where I was going, what I was going to do, anything like that. There's there's so many great, amazing days in my life. And I'm very great. I'm very blessed. I would even go out on a limb and say that one of my best days ever was, and you have to take this in perspective, was the day I was murdered. Because that day set me on a journey and set me into an experience of healing and brought me all of the amazing gifts that I have. And in that moment, I didn't see it as my greatest day. And now I look back and it's a day that I am absolutely grateful for that I would never change. Well, Peter, we are grateful for you being a part of Tell Me Your Story and the work that we are doing here. And we look forward to having you back again to talk more about this issue and to again to uh, really demystify and remove the stigma, as the phrase goes, from this whole issue of <clears throat> mental health and wellness. And uh, once again, thank you for being a part. Thank you, Richard. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast video cast, love to lol. Jeanette, I'm still listening. Dad, I know you're happy because I am. Smokey, I'll see you on the other side. And to my dear friend Zorro, aho, aho. <laughs>